Hello and welcome to Box Cutters. No episode. laughing before the intro. 159. I can't hear what you're saying. Yes, I know. Josh just turned to me and said, I can't hear what you're saying in my, the most disdainful manner. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, that's the voice of John Richards. Hello, listener. And to my right, you heard him before, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Episode 159. It's a big show. It is a big, massive, huge show. For the last time, our un-Australian correspondent phones in. He's, he's not. He's not an Australian in a, in a in a John Howard sense. No, no, no. He's, right. he's just an Australian because he's not in Australia. Right, right. James Talley will be uh, calling in from Europe for for the last time, which is a, a little bit sad. Uh, but I'm sure he'll have heaps to say about uh, what's going on in the world of TV journalism. Hmm. We've also got an I don't buy it. Uh, we're going to do a before and after school special again. Yes, yes we are. Uh, this week, uh, John, do you want to say what the name of the show it's is? It's Fatty and George. So right. that, that's just your time to Google it because no one remembers it except me. I may have made it up, but uh, yeah, Fatty, Fatty and, and George. Fatty and George. Actually, Not Fanny and George, which were two of the famous five. No, no. One of them was George a dog. George was the dog, wasn't it? Yeah. No, no, Timmy was the dog. George oh. was the tomboy. Yeah, yeah. Fanny was the boy. No, Fanny. There was no Fanny in, in the famous five. No, sorry, it's... No, that's right. Fanny and George was a different Enid Blyton story. Right. Anyway. And George was a tomboy. Yes, George was a tomboy. And a future lesbian icon. Ah. Really? And Timmy? Where is she now? Timmy was not a future lesbian icon. Timmy was a dog. Right. Future dog icon? No, no, just a dog. Right. My mistake. <laughs> uh, we've got some letters to box cutters. We've got the box cutters quiz. We've probably got some pork if there's a time for it. But as always... Let's kick things off with the Box Cutters News. And now for the news. In uh, news... News. Yes, in news news. On television. Uh, the ABC is to uh, cut jobs in their newsrooms as they introduce a uh, new computer editing system, which they've been piloting for a year here in Victoria, um, which will see journalists becoming responsible for editing their own stories. Right. Um, so they uh, will be trained up in editing techniques over the coming months. Um, and in the future, some full-time edits uh, positions at the network will be progressively wound back for each program. Eventually, they'll be responsible for their own broadcasting as well, I imagine. Yes, yes including peddling for the power. Yeah, it's yeah. all just going to podcasting. Everyone's going to have a podcast. The ABC podcast will come we, to your house. Uh, yeah, we, we started this podcasting bandwagon. It is amazing. Mm, yeah, we cancel shows. We, we, we end people's careers. We invented podcasting. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> extraordinary. <laughs> It, extra, so when sorry, I, I missed. When are they bringing this in? Uh, it's uh, to be undertaken in two phases, uh, and will be uh, fairly much immediately, I believe. Um, there's been an email sent around uh, from the director of ABC Resources, David Crussenden, um, that AAP have uh, obtained. And, uh, yeah, it says uh, it's to be over the next coming months. 
um, so as the journalists get trained up in the editing, then uh, they'll start doing their own stuff. Right. Are uh, television editors uh, up in arms over this move? Uh, no response from television editors nor the ABC immediately. Probably no uh, one's to told the, the AAP's editors, yeah. story. Editors usually find out everything at the end. No one's told them. They'll be editing the story about how their jobs are going, and that's when they'll discover. Go, hang on. But that'll just be one. And yeah, I, I guess once they get down to the canteen over there in Ripponlea, yeah, then they'll be able to uh, spread the word. Yeah, yep, because they yeah. wouldn't have email. That makes sense. Hey, in uh, in in more free to air news, uh, the uh, networks seven and nine have both uh, gotten through to a, a possible joint venture. This was originally going to be ten, seven, and nine. Uh, where the seven and nine are going to be sharing content mm. for their uh, digital and HD channels. Is this Freeview breaking our digital TV systems? No, it's not Freeview doing it because nobody knows what Freeview is. Well, Freeview isn't actually anything apart from an EPG, as far as we ascertained last week. No, and it's ads. Oh, it's, it's kind of spanky we, looking I thought ads. we ascertained it was a reanimated zombie corpse of, <laughs> of, of Bruce Gingell coming to your house and beating thoughts into your head. Wasn't that what we... I thought that was Whispering that was clear. Whispering this is television. But then, they, but then they don't even mention that in the ads. That's bizarre. Have you, have you I'd seen... I'd make that a selling point. I have seen the ads. It's um, uh, 30 Rock uh, recently had... A, had um, uh, Steve Martin played a character who mentioned about how the, the, the multi-million dollar company he managed... He said, uh, yeah, did you never notice we didn't actually make anything? And you see this ad, and it's like, Innovation America Today, Sunstream. <laughs> and the Freeview ads are, are very, very much along those lines. Well, this is, uh, this is kind of, uh, you know, a whole lot of, it's, it's now going to be more nothing in different places. So Channel 7 are looking to have a, a lifestyle channel. And uh, no doubt they'll get uh, a, a lot of the, uh, you know, repeats of uh, the block and uh, and and, and Rams- the new one, Ramsey's so. Kitchen nightmares, and all those things from from Channel Seven, as well as uh, border security and and all of that sort of stuff. Oh, that's not really lifestyle, is it? No. It's smuggling isn't a lifestyle. <laughs> is it a lifestyle choice though? Mm, interesting. It's uh, discuss. I, I still don't get the the, the notion of. It's just so weird. Channel sharing stuff is kind of like, I don't know, like being halfway through World War Two, and then everyone just changing sides. It just seems wrong. It, uh, it, it is wrong. And, uh, and I, haven't, I haven't done much uh, research into this, but it, it sounds a lot like collusion to me. And uh, maybe we can get Tom Elliott into the show next week for a, a few minutes to discuss whether or not this is the sort of thing that is actually allowed in the Australian media Ooh. landscape. It's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. Channel 10 have said, no, we're not going to be a part of it. We've got our sports channel and that's what we're doing. Uh, but 9 and 7 have gone, yeah, let's be best buds. Let's let's put bygones be bygones and all that name calling that, uh, that you did, David Leckie. Oh, a month ago, about channel. Let's just let's just put it away. Oh, but surely they're going to have very distinct news services that that they will own as as each of their distinct, individual distinct networks. logos, distinct station ideas. Ah, oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I don't I don't know. And and then uh, so Channel Nines is going to be an entertainment channel, kind of like TV One is on on cable, and that's going to be. Uh, have some Channel 7 offerings like Ugly Betty and mm. Desperate Housewives. Mm. Uh, 
It's does it, it well when it, when it comes down to it, TV is a business, and does it say in the article there at all how they're going to break up the advertising revenue? Like it, if something's on Channel Nine's channel, uh, do they get all the advertising revenue, or does Ugly Betty advertising revenue go to Channel Seven? Uh, no, it doesn't actually say I mean, that, anything. That's like the that. complicated part of this whole deal. For, for the networks, at least. No, for us, it's, we couldn't it, really it says that the new multi-channels won't have any minimum Australian content requirements. This is an article from The Australian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there's, uh, yeah, no no discussing over uh, how advertising is, is going to be split. But the the article does say, and this, you know, is, is very entertaining for me, uh, there is a, a line in here that says, Freeview launched last week in Canberra amid much fanfare with signs that the networks will launch their new multi-channel offerings in the second quarter of next year. There was fanfare, but it, it, it still seems like unjustifiable fanfare. It, it was really all they launched was an advertising campaign saying, hey... Watch the television that you've already got coming to you. It's just it's just weird. Is that fanfare? Or is it blowing your own trumpet? Hey! Nice. And but my other thing was, why don't we just go live in Russia? That's the <laughs> other one I want to answer. Uh, but talking about advertising revenue, uh, Channel Seven, ha- uh, sorry, Channel Ten have uh, started to um, put the word out and uh, are looking for three principal sponsors for their Channel One. Or one. You can't put a channel in front of it. Just there are one is channel. Ten, is it 10 Which is the, the 10 one it's ten sports one. channel. 10 uh, one as opposed to ABC one, <laughs> yeah. which is on two. 10 to one? My God. Can we, can we call channel 10 one One Chuck? tenth. Oh, I'd call it one tenth. That'd be great. Well, Welcome tenth. to one tenth. Ooh. All right. Um, which is which is going to be the uh, all sports all the time. And uh, the three principal sponsors will be signed up for 2.5 million a pop. Well, that's nice. According to uh, business, well, that, work, that works. And I point out that I'm also looking for a sponsor for uh, box cutters for two point five million. So, if uh, anyone would like to be our principal sponsor, two point five million dollars. Yeah, a pop. I don't know what a pop means. I don't know what it means either. Well, that's per I, sponsor, right? Uh, oh, yeah, per sponsor. Sure, sure we'll take five of them. Yeah, yeah, five sponsors. Two point. No, no, million. we can't. We, that, that cheapens it. So, see, so we could have one or two or three for two point five mil. It depends on how many eyeballs we've got. Beyond we, our six, we don't have it, we don't have out. any eyeballs. It's an audio thing. Well, no, no. Well, there, okay. there is, there is the video log. No, there's the web log. There's no, the, there's the, video, the video podcast. The video no. podcast. You can no. go, go look at that. No, yeah. there's there's no video. Now there's a multi-camera video podcast. It's not very... <laughs> just because last week you accidentally looked in the wrong corner. <laughs> Actually, we've been working on the hologram video podcast. So that's going to be good. 35 <laughs> HD cameras here in the studio around us, so you can actually make us appear in the middle of your house. What's really nice, though, is that the cameras themselves are holograms, so, so they're, they're invisible to the naked eye in the studio, avoiding uh, making anybody uncomfortable when they come in. John, please, do you have some news? Uh, I do. I was trying to say, let's, let's start with this bit. Last week, we talked about Tim Kring. Remember Tim Kring? Ah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, people who watch free-to-air television when it's on are dipshits. Uh, saps and dipshits, I sorry, think, s- was the term. Sorry, yeah. sorry. I didn't mean to exclude the saps. <laughs> yeah. Tim Kring invented heroes and offended everyone else. And, uh, yes, he, he, he called uh, view- viewers of TV saps and dipshits last week. Um, Kring has issued an apology for, for his comments, arguing, quote, it was a boneheaded attempt at being cute and making a point. Instead, it turned out to be just plain insulting and stupid. <laughs> to everybody. <laughs> to everybody. He also said... I so, hang on, can I just say, this is, this is the problem with heroes, is that Tim Kring only realises his mistakes <laughs> after, after he's made them. them. Yeah, after everyone goes, no, we hate that. He oh, goes, he gets to the end 
on the third season who's going to say, oh, sorry, it was, it was just a poor joke. Because that's what, that's, what, that's what he did at the end of series two. He went, did he? Yeah, he went, oh, uh, you know what? We were wrong and uh, we're going to make everything better next oh. season. That's that's almost better than... than uh, I, I'm... I can't think of the name. It's not Dynasty. It's Dallas. Uh, yeah, the, Dallas. The waking it was up all after a all a dream. I think that's mm. where we're going, with Mr. Green. So what? What else? What else? Oh did no, you really, say? really. There's no. There's nothing else to right. add to that. I think that that's the highlight of of, of Kring's point. Right. I'll yeah. never watch one of his shows again. <laughs> Channel Nine are uh, hoping to strengthen their news offerings uh, with a new magazine-style afternoon news show. Uh, which has a pilot to be filmed next week, uh, hosted by Carl Stefanovic and Lila McKinnon. Um, they're hoping that uh, it's all going to go well. Uh, they're looking at a light Sydney-based news magazine show, uh, but their ideas are very rough at the moment. Is this going to be another Channel Nine Five Thirty failure? Um, That's the what? working title, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's hey, do we need more Carl Stefanovic on television? Uh, do you think he's going to still do today if he's in the afternoon slot? Well, who would they have replace him? I reckon he. They'd I reckon they'd, they'd get probably double the number of viewers for uh, the afternoon slot. Really, he's he's home at five thirty. A lot more people than are watching breakfast TV. Well, that's As true. We've seen with the figures, for some reason though, breakfast TV, everyone loves it. It's on the range. Yep. Yeah, I, mm. I, I don't get it. And uh, you know, Channel Nine had a it was either a five o'clock or five thirty show. Uh, I'm talking sixteen, seventeen years ago, uh, that I think Joe Pearson co-hosted. And uh, if somebody knows the name of it, I'm sure, please email us, hooray at boxcutters.net. But it was a, kind of a, a very light uh, current affairs uh, news introduction show that was supposed to BTN. lead into... No, no, it wasn't BTN. It, it wasn't BTN. It, you're, you're mistaking, once again, Joe Pearson for Paul Higgins. Oh, of course. It's an easy mistake to make. <laughs> I was mistaken for Richard Moorcroft, so there you go. Ah, Right. It's the hair. <laughs> it, it is the hair. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, that's, uh, I don't know, that's my take on it. Channel 9 have done it before and, uh, and it didn't work and, and they're really struggling with the 5.30 slot. And mm. I think they'll, they'll continue to. That's my prediction for 2009. Right. They'll uh, continue to struggle. To struggle with the 5.30 slot. <laughs> uh, a, uh, a, yeah. a, a study has come out from the University of, San, uh, of, of Chicago saying that... Uh, Television is not actually bad for children. It's not from, like, the University of Television in Chicago or something, no. is it? It's not from, you know... No, no, no. It's the University of Chicago. And, uh, and they're saying that uh, certain television shows can actually be as good as, uh, as reading or uh, human interaction. Like, for what like, age children? Uh, for, for all children. All children. And uh, so they're saying shows like Sesame Street, obviously... Are very good at uh, at teaching, and a, a lot of children who aren't uh, don't enjoy reading can still learn a lot about language and uh, and how language works and uh, and mathematics and what have you from children's television. But they're also saying that uh, for older children, shows like The Sopranos is teaching them what <laughs> exactly. Well, I think it's how to dispose of the body. <laughs> 
I, I think it's uh, uh, that uh, there there are shows that provide kind of a, a multi-dimensional structure is is what they say in this in this article. So uh, shows that have uh, kind of intricate plot lines and uh, lots of characters and require a lot of following. Uh, maybe things that that have uh, fast action or or fast talking that uh, that children can get a hold of and help them develop uh, as uh, as intelligent thinkers. They they mention in this article both The Sopranos and SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> I often watch them as a double bill in the Night Garden. Mm. That's good. Oh no! <laughs> And I think I think I, I was looking for an excuse to say in the night garden. Oh, no, you know, how, it does you know how much I hate that show, and, and this is this is I, I think one, one of the things that shows it's, like it's this kids show we mentioned last week. Brett. It's, it's terrifying. It's horrifying. It's absolutely it's terrifying. Really, if David Lynch went, I'll make a cute little kids show. <laughs> this is what it would be. That's oh, it is so terrible. But I think shows like in the night garden and uh, and. Uh, uh, I want to say tiddlywinks. What were they, what were they called? Teletubbies. Teletubbies. <laughs> the um, shows, shows like that that aren't actually that uh, educational, but are more about bright colours and uh, and high pitched noises. I don't think are uh, this this article. I, I don't think is, say, is saying that it, they're not as good for for children as shows with storylines and structure and uh, and See, some it, intelligence It's funny because I, you know, I listen to the argument put forward there and half of me goes, yep, I think that makes sense because these are very intelligent and dense television programs and half of me thinks, no, it's dumbing down of the culture and I can't, but I how, can't decide. But how is, it, how is it dumbing down of the culture? I, just, I don't know. I'm just worried that we're going to go, oh, yeah, watching Sopranos is as good as, you know, actually reading Shakespeare or, oh, or studying... It's not as... You know, but it's the sort of thing that could be uh, an entry point where I think Sopranos is going to be a bit too disturbing. West Wing, on the other hand, maybe because well, that was quite something. Something like West Wing, something where little kids love politics. They yeah, dig, they dig that shit. Something where uh, you know a, a, a child can watch a show, learn about say storytelling and the way stories are told, and then could work as an entry point to okay. Well, if you liked if you like Sopranos, maybe you will like uh, Sons of Anarchy. Well, no, I was... No. <laughs> Why do you even bring that up? Uh, maybe you will like to read, uh, you know, uh, the, postman, the Postman Always Rings Twice. Or, you know. Macbeth. Yeah. There's... Uh, there's oh, okay, well, there are references to, uh, to this Shakespeare play in this show that yeah, yeah. you enjoy watching. Maybe you'd like to read that play and learn a little bit more about it. You yeah, know, no, no, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, that's the thing. I, I don't know. I, I can see that point. It's probably quite valid. I was uh, education I, by stealth. I, uh, stealth education, actually, I like that. That's it's nice. it's good. Mm. It, it sneaks up on you. You don't realise that it's mm-hmm. happening. And oh my god, I know something. <laughs> Damn you, knowledge! Get out of my head. <laughs> now, speaking of knowing something, uh, just uh, just uh, going back a step, Joe Pearson hosted Live at Five with Terry Willisey. That's it. But I, Live at Five. They still had Family Feud in between Live at yeah, Five. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't five thirty. It was five yeah. o'clock. It was mm. five o'clock half hour. Live at Five. I was on that show. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from your uh, your knife incident. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Uh, no, there was a uh, there was a book. I was in VCE at the time, and there was a, a book published uh, by a former VCE student who, uh, who had written this book to teach students how they could uh, better study and do uh, what we called CATs back then, common mm-hmm. common assessment tasks, and uh, and so I was interviewed as uh, how good would this be for VCE students? 
You were the voice of the students. Yeah, I hadn't read the book. No. But, I hadn't yeah. read the book, but they it's, just said, can you say some good stuff about it? And I went, oh, yeah, yeah, and I just made stuff up on the spot. And that's TV it. for got, you? Got to air. I had giant sideburns on because it was Purim, and I was dressed <laughs> as monkey. <laughs> <laughs> were you dressed as monkey in the actual shot, though? Because that would have been great. I think I took... Uh, I, I had we to asked t- this small boy, who was dressed as monkey? <laughs> I had to take the uh, the, the headband off. <laughs> Did you have the big staff though? But I had the big staff, and I was, I, no, I had to put the staff. Were you on a cloud? But I had I had grown sideburns, especially for the costume, <laughs> and uh, and so I, I appeared as this uh, you know kind of nine hundred two one zero figure, I suppose. Because That's fantastic. I, I had uh, I had it was it was pretty funny. <laughs> It was pretty funny. When I got back from uh, London, uh, which was 2001 or uh, three, whatever it was, 2003, um, the, the ABC was repeating Doctor Who from the beginning again, and that George Negus uh, magazine program that was on at the time ran the world's laziest story about Doctor Who compiled from file footage, and I was quite shocked to see me as a 14-year-old giving my vox pop about Doctor Who, <laughs> filmed as if it was just recorded yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, yeah, quite startling to go. Luckily, I was wearing a gas mask, so no one could recognise it was me. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> but like, back, back to news. Was it a Paisley I'm, I'm, gas mask, though? <laughs> no, no, it's a standard one. Back to news. I've actually got a couple of Doctor Who bits, which I will just throw together. Um, Sarah Jane Adventures is getting a third season, if anyone yeah, is watching that. I, I put watching in quotes. Yeah. Uh, Russell T. Davies, who was the man who brought it back to TV, has just received an OBE which is the Order of the British Empire. You might remember those from the goodies. Yeah, well, see, this is, this is what I was going to... Russell T. Davies got an OBA for, for uh, services to television. Yes. So Queer as Folk and Doctor Who and, uh, and Torchwood. Isn't it great, Dave, you can, make a, you can make a soap opera about underage gay sex and you will get an OBE. Well, That's yet, cool. Yet Tim Brooke Taylor, who asked for an OBE... Every single goodies episode never received one. That's sad. Yeah. That's a tragic, tragic story. I'm gonna you know what? Mm-hmm. We should start a campaign, write a letter to the Queen. Get Tim Brooke Taylor his OBE. Um also just mm-hmm. quickly Doctor Who He um, wore he wore Union Jack boxer <laughs> shorts. <laughs> Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart appeared in this week's episode of Sarah <gasps> Jane Adventures. So again, Did if he? anyone's watching that, I've How I've, old is he now? He's four hundred and six, right. I believe. Um but yeah, I've watched it apparently he's he's turning up for a double episode. And this one, which isn't actually television related, but David Tennant, um, of course, who's leaving the role of the Doctor in Doctor Who, um, is currently appearing with the Royal Shakespeare Company in Hamlet. Apparently, they're using a real skull uh, in their production of Hamlet. It was donated in 1982 to by Andrew Tchaikovsky. Uh, that's Andrew Tchaikovsky, not the uh, not the other one. Um, who left in his will that he uh, was leaving his body to the Royal Shakespeare Company for use in theatrical performances. Uh, it's never been used before. In 1989, they, they did rehearse with it, but they decided it was way too creepy. And this is the first time it's been used. So uh, the director says, um, it was sort of a little shock tactic, though, of course, to some extent that wears off. And it's just Andre in his box. He's right. got a special box. Oh, nice. A special skull box. Because there's there would have been a very short amount of time where the Royal Shakespeare Society could have done that Stom- Tom Stoppard play, <laughs> where a, a, there's a dead body on the... On the... Yeah, because what do you do with a dead body? I mean, you know, it's like, was it just the skull? Or do they get the whole thing? They right, go, so, what are we going to do with this? Are you going to have, uh, you know, the... the... Royal Shakespeare Society doing uh, Weekend at Bernie's. And then, <laughs> that'd be great with Ian McKellen. <laughs> Where is Bernie? Where is he? And that is the Box Cutters news. Hey. <coughs> Bonjour tout le monde, bienvenue à Box Cutters. 
Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Box Cutters. This is Toby Sullivan uh, displaying his bilingual prowess on the best TV podcast that uh, I've ever encountered. And speaking of bilingual prowess, from a trilingual country is, for probably the last time, our un-Australian correspondent. And then maybe he becomes the Australian correspondent. James Talia! Good evening. Hello there. This is the last time as an Australian correspondent, sad to say. I'm not sure they're going to let me be correspondent for the whole of Australia because Channel 9 has a few other reporters around the place as well, but I'll have a shot at it. Yeah, yeah give, give, give it a go. It's, it's definitely worth giving a go. So, so you're not going to be stuck in a studio somewhere? Uh, no. No, I'll be, uh, I'll be on the road. Hey. Yeah? Well, guys, tell us more. What, what will you be doing? Well, I'm I'm going to be uh, going back to Melbourne and uh, going back as a general news reporter, which is what I was doing uh, before I left to come to London. And uh, it'll be interesting to be back on the road in Melbourne again. It feels as though it was a long time since I was doing that, but I'm sure once I'm there doing it, it'll feel as though I've never been anywhere else. What's the uh, What's the community feel in uh, in in amongst journalists when when something like that happens and and you go to to you know a doorstop or something like that? And uh, all all your other journos who you saw last two three years ago, do they go? Oh, look who's back! It's Mister <laughs> London. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure some of them are probably doing that in their heads, but otherwise, uh, uh, outwardly, it's all very friendly. But uh, people are okay with it. Um, but I don't know. I'll see what happens when I get there. I guess the other thing is there's always such turnover in in newsrooms that I fully expect to step back onto the road. Melbourne and not know half the people I'm seeing from other newsrooms. Mm. Oh, no, you'll you'll know them. They just won't work for the same network as when you left. <laughs> yeah, well, there's always that too. Absolutely, musical chairs. Yeah, and uh, if you want to see Anna Corrin, I'm sorry, she's uh, she's actually in Hong Kong now. So I know you're excited yeah. about that, but... Um, in Hong Kong and not on air, yes. from what I read yesterday. Mm. Yes, I love I loved that article. There, there was an article in, uh, I think it was Fairfax Papers yesterday, uh, about Anna Corrin. Yes, I've moved to Hong Kong and I'm working for CNN, but I'm not on air yet. It, it was the biggest non-story I, I've read in a long time. Actually, no, sorry, it was the second biggest non-story I read all week. The biggest non-story was uh, some reprinted press release in the Australian about Telstra uh, owning a company that has a lot of content that goes onto mobile phones and stuff. I, I think print journalism might be dead. Oh, I think that's going a bit too far. <laughs> oh, these these stories were were absolutely terrible, James. Absolutely terrible. You just have to pick which papers you read, don't you? Well, yeah, I try to read all of them, and I get through almost none of them. Apparently, something happened in India. <laughs> Well, maybe that's more to do with you than it is to do with the newspapers, Josh. <laughs> that is that you is possible. That is possible. Now, I mentioned India, and uh, and, and that yes, and, I, and John I, Rich has pricked up his ears. I had a question for you, James, as a general yes, journalistic kind of approach, because it's something that I'm quite interested in. Um, when the Mumbai events uh, happened, the terrorism events you know, last week. It was reminding me to uh, when I was watching the BBC coverage of um, September 11. What happens, like as a journalist, what, what do you do in those situations where people want information, but there is no information yet, and there seems to be an awful lot of filler journalism, you know, in which people are kind of trying to, you know, you, you maybe only have one bit of footage and you've got kind of three sentences of actual information. And um, I remember September 11 having a, uh, they got in the um, the head of the, the British fire fighting division 
to talk about what they might do of a plane through into a, a building in, in England. Do you ever find yourself in that situation when you're kind of aware you're trying to, just trying to create news where there is none? Um, not, not particularly, and that's for, for one important reason, and that is the difference between 24-hour news and producing a news bulletin for uh, a network that has other things in the schedule the rest of the day. You're right. If you're watching 24-hour news and there's a breaking story like that, it's really noticeable. And I saw the same thing last week with the Mumbai story on uh, Sky and the Beeb and CNN that uh, certainly initially there's limited pictures and limited information and you end up seeing vision running sort of on a loop. Um, that's because with a story that big, obviously they have to give it that sort of prominence. They can't cut away from it and, and go back to what their normal bulletin is, but they don't have enough to keep filling it for hour after hour. And obviously the uh, the changes to the situation happen incrementally as well. It's not as though that one was all sorted two hours later. Um, that's the difficulty with 24-hour news, I guess. Uh, it's not particularly a problem that we would have if you're trying to produce a two, three-minute story and you have 24 hours worth of material to pick from in putting that story together. Sure. And, and, and that is also why you end up with things like we saw with the, uh, with, with the US election and uh, the hologram on CNN... Because they've got all this time to fill, and you know, you know, if they've got advanced warning, they can have tricks that they can use to, to fill it. And I think uh, during uh, Desert Storm, by the end of it, there was so much money going into producing graphics because th- that yeah. worked as great filler. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, graphics is one thing. If you got, it's for us, it's 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 an old trick that if you don't have enough pictures, come up with a graphic. Um, and that can be very effective. The hologram on CNN on election night really was uh, probably a bridge too far. That was woeful. Um, I, I read somewhere, uh, I can't remember where it was, someone said uh, by being able to have your uh, reporter in the studio as a fake hologram with the presenter, it removes that uh, terrible handicap that television's always had of being able to uh, see a reporter pictured in the scene where the story is happening. (laughs) (laughs) Which is correct, of course. I mean, on on that night, that reporter was in Grant Park in Chicago, uh, only a couple of hours before that enormous rally and Obama's victory speech. Um, Why can't I see that in the background? And it took 35 HD cameras to do it. I think that's, that's really not entirely necessary. Uh, you think? You think? You think it wasn't necessary? I don't know. No, that's I mean, a big call. Big call. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm, I'm sort of trying to be diplomatic about it. <laughs> uh, now, th- there was a, another big thing in the in the news recently. This uh, last week, uh, there was the uh, the incident with a couple of reporters at Tathra Wharf in New South Wales here, and. Uh, and, and this was a situation where, and I don't know if you've got any uh, any further insight than than what we've read, James. But uh, you know, other than a professional perspective, the, uh, the um, reporters reporters turned up to uh, Tathra Wharf to report on a father and son being drowned. Is my understanding? Two sons, one two father. Sons, two sons, one father being drowned, and uh, and then the uh, the the community kind of just started to attack them, is is the way I understand it. Yeah, I, well, I, I don't have any further insight other than what I've read um, uh, 
further to what you've said, it would seem that the reporters and camera people in question were in the pub um, of an evening having filed their stories. Mm -hmm. And they were obviously, as we do sometimes on the road, getting together, being the only non-locals in town, getting together for a meal and no doubt a couple of beers. And uh, there were a lot of morning locals in the pub as well. Um, and somehow things got out of hand. Now, none of the reports I've read indicate how it was sparked. Um, but it's not an unusual thing at all, especially in small communities uh, in the regions, for people to become um, very worked up about having the media in their town when a tragedy like that has occurred. It doesn't often end in a punch-up. I understand a couple of people were, a couple of the journalists were injured in this incident. But I, I can't say I'm entirely surprised by it either. It, and you're not surprised by it because there's a, a well-known uh, animosity for, from the public to, to reporters? Is that is that why? Well, I, was... I think when you're in a situation like that, um, uh, the media become an easy target for people who are grieving. Um, I've, and I've seen incidents, incidents where I've been in small towns and it hasn't necessarily turned violent, but certainly um, when, if you have a town of 5,000 people, which I understand that one is, uh, most people are going to know most other people. Uh, people know where everyone lives. If you see media camped out outside someone's house and, and you know that people from that house have just experienced a terrible tragedy, then you may take it upon yourself to... Um, have a go at the media. I think reporters are just an easy target. It's as simple as that. As a young reporter in Moi doing the the Jaden Lesky scenario, uh, yes. w- was there that same feeling of, well, these people are going to expose all the secrets of our horrible little town? Well, I wouldn't put it quite like that. <laughs> it, it, it was... I've been to Moa yeah, so. What it was was that the, the, the locals are uh, obviously proud of the place they live and believe that the town was being um, painted in an incorrect light. Um, and that led to some tense times in Moe at that time from, from the locals who wanted us to leave. Um, Clearly, we couldn't leave, and I think those those people, if they were thinking rationally, would understand why, with a story like that, or indeed the story last week, why the media has to be there, and why we're not going to leave. But you've always got to be a little bit cautious about the way you treat people, especially when emotions are running high. I've got a question for you, James. Just back to the the Australianness of you, um, and also <laughs> also Mumbai. Um, when I came home and the the Mumbai story was on, there was a live cross to Brooke Satchwell. Um, which kind of threw me because I didn't know she was now reporting for the ABC. She just happened to be in the Taj Mahal hotel. She just happened to be. She just happened to be there at the time. And one of the other channels I found a sportsman, I think, as well, who was there. Um, it kind of shows up that we didn't have any journalists, you know, in the region for a start. But do you think? I mean, does it does it actually matter? I mean, will a report from Brooks Satchwell be just as good as a report from a trained journalist on on the street? Would it be as good as a feed from the BBC? Like, does it does it matter if we have journalists there? Yeah, it matters a lot, but I think you have to draw the distinction between um, uh, someone reporting and someone offering an eyewitness account. Now, if Brooke Satchwell had been someone you'd never heard of, you would have just thought of it presumably as 
as someone offering an account of what they'd seen. That's exactly what should have been um, in any story coming out of there being reported by journalists. That's exactly the kind of material we would be looking for anyway. So you can either see a grab of her in uh, a wider story about that situation, or you can hear her on the phone describing it. I'm not sure that I would I would describe that as um, reporting. And I, I think... Um, to be able to get someone on the phone, whether they're well-known or not, who's in one of those hotels or has been in one of those hotels would be the first thing you'd be looking for in that situation. And, um, having said that, the ABC has a bureau in India. Um, I think it's in Delhi. So they would have been there. I know we scrambled there very quickly and, and everyone else did as well. It was um, actually the ABC that I heard Brooks Satchel uh, doing a report on, on uh, Radio National or, or 774. Right, okay. Well, as I say, why not? If, whether, whether it's uh, Brooks Atchwell or Madonna or my grandmother, if it's someone who's in the hotel, you want to hear what they've seen. And, well, and, and especially under those specific circumstances, uh, even if you've got a journalist vaguely in the area, it's going to be hard to get them in uh, while there's, there's people shooting up the streets and stuff. Well, that's that's always the first difficulty. Um, how do you get in? Mm. It's not just about the plane ride. It's about um, uh, oftentimes getting a visa very quickly, and then actually being able to get to the scene and work effectively once you've once you've landed. Um, but those things are always uh, you can always overcome those things. Um, it just it just takes a bit of time. But as I say, even if if I if I'd been standing there on the ground in front of the Taj Hotel, I still would have wanted to hear from someone who had been inside. You'd still be looking for that interview. And, and I suppose with, with someone like Brooke Satchwell, at least if, if you can get her, you know that she can speak, you know that she's eloquent and, uh, and, and can probably give a good report. Well, and th- that turned out to be the case as, as from, from what little I've seen and heard of uh, what she did. But I know she was everywhere. She seemed to be the uh, eyewitness at the moment. But um, you're right. If, if she's accustomed to dealing with media and even though it's not the kind of situation that you would she would normally be dealing with the media in, um, it's still helpful that she knows kind of what she's doing and how to handle that kind of questioning. Do you think a lot of the time we, we take it for granted that uh, that what you do and, and reporting in general is actually quite a dangerous job? Oh, look, it's, it's not... Most of the time it's not that dangerous. It's not kid ourselves, I mean, unless, unless you're in a war zone. Um, it's It's not obviously dangerous at all times um, and if you're working in a newsroom in a place like Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane it's very rarely dangerous but you do have your moments I've been to the old gangland funeral with a couple of security guards now and then Right, well that's just shut us up <laughs> <laughs> No, well I mean I, I don't want to let, let's, I'm, because I'm, I'm, I'm very wary of, of comparing the risk of getting punched out with the risk of getting shot dead or, or you know, taken out in a friendly fire incident by the US Air Force or whatever else it might be. Um, but they are two very different things. Well, yes, but personal danger is still is still personal danger and there's still the, the nature of... I suppose if you're, a, if you're a war correspondent, you know that you're putting yourself in that situation. But if you're just going to a small town to, uh, to report on, on newsworthy happenings there... Uh, that's, uh, that's really turning up to work one day and, uh, and, and getting significantly injured. Uh, yeah, well, that's true. Yes, you would probably have a greater expectation of getting shot in Baghdad than of getting punched in Bega, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, no one likes to get punched in the cheese. 
Now, James, talking about the uh, talking about the procedures uh, in newsrooms. Um, have you heard anything about this uh, pilot program that ABC TV have been running with desktop editing, getting their own journalists to uh, do their own cuts on the story rather than having an editor back, what, like just in using the iMovie? I, no, I hadn't heard of that, but it's, um, it's it doesn't surprise me in any way. That's the way we're all going to be going. I think. Um, I think what, what you'll find is you'll probably have um, journalists perhaps not editing um, whole packages, but if you can have producers editing voiceovers and stuff like that, then uh, that's certainly what's going to be happening. It's very prevalent here in the UK. Oh, really? Um, it, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Oh, yeah, it, it has been for years in every newsroom. They have the facility where they're, they're server-based and therefore you're able to look at vision on your desktop computer yep. without having to go into an edit suite and put a tape in a machine. And um, one of the main reasons for that is so that you can have producers and reporters cutting stuff. Um, that's It's only a matter of time before that comes to Australia. And obviously uh, it, it is starting with the ABC. But there's been no shortage of Australian uh, TV journalists moving to London to do the thing and finding that the first thing they have to do in getting freelance work at any outlet here is learn how to edit. Get trained up words, just cut the pictures. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it would make it so much easier for an international correspondent to be able to say, this is how I want the story to run, rather than having to go through paper edits. Um, well, I mean, I don't do paper edits on the road anyway. I, I use a cameraman who can edit. Um, right. My argument would be that if I'm on the road in any different time zone, I've got better things to do than cut the yarn as well. Um, like, you know, maybe try and get two hours of sleep or keep chasing the story. Um, uh, me, me, so I, me, me, me. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Well, <laughs> you knew that about me, Josh. <laughs> you know I'm a show pony. I'm just a princess. Um, so I, I'm not, I think it has to be a horses for courses approach. The compromise there is, and, and, and where all the Australian networks are moving towards this now as well, is that rather than looking for a satellite uplink facility, we're all now using FTP a lot more. So right. I'm, I'm happy to have a cameraman editor edit the store um, and then uh, send it via broadband to a server that puts us in a, a very different world uh, with having to go to the extent of having me cut the story. And that, that, that actually uh, provides a, an element of redundancy as well. So I don't know how many stories used to get lost or, uh, or distorted in the, uh, in the satellite upload, but it, it doesn't well, seem like a very, uh, a, a very safe way to do it. Um, it it's actually, I, I, yeah, you, you'd, you'd think so, but you'd be surprised at, at how reliable the satellite can be. Um, the problem is, uh, really, um, you have to be able to find a satellite dish, which isn't always the easiest thing in the world. You have to be able to convince some French guy to come out at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night to open up the satellite dish to let you feed, which is certainly not the easiest thing that in the world That French guy is always the problem. <laughs> that he's French guy is just... the problem, let always. me tell you. Always. Every single time, he's the problem. I, I once um, had to just leave, leave a trail of baguette with uh, brie and tomato from his house to the satellite dish. <laughs> that... That does the job, yes. Yeah. That is going to extremes. <laughs> now, what's happening? And even then, you have to, you have to find a store that's open at eight o'clock on a Saturday night to buy <laughs> said items, which you know. It's which you know, if, if um, you're in Paris, it's fine, but if you're in Aix-en-Provence, it's a, a real struggle. If you're in Baghdad, can you think how hard it would be in Baghdad to get that French guy? I didn't even in? think of that. No. 
<laughs> well, that did, exactly. I mean, it's certainly, obviously, war zones in more remote areas, it's, it's particularly difficult. It can be really difficult to find uplink. Um, and uh, and then you've, you've got to rely on the people to be there to do it for you. Often things get lost in translation, but um, sometimes it's difficult to find a good enough broadband connection as well. Now, uh, kind of taking it back a step, I imagine that uh, that must mean that uh, the standard kind of camera equipment must have been updated recently, and, and it's not just the uh, Betacam SP anymore. Oh, well, it hasn't been SP for, for years. Hasn't it? Um, no, Get with the program, know. Brett. <laughs> Duh. We've, we've, been shooting, we've been shooting on... Sorry, I didn't mean it to sound like that, but yeah, you're dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've been shooting on FX for years, for about probably about 10 years now, um, which is a, a, a kind of a digital SP format. It's not fully digital, but it's, it's close to. But is um, it still tape-based? It is tape-based, yes, but that is now on the way out. Um, seven for some years, or some years ago, changed to um, DVC Pro, which is a Panasonic format that was tape-based as well. So... Um, and, and all of those formats are now going out the door too. So yeah, it's been a little while since we were on SP, and for that reason, we've been able to um, bring in some of these other technological advances like FTP. Yeah, yeah. I, like I, I'd imagine it, the most efficient way would be to have it all uh, as digital files on the camera itself and just be able to transfer those over to your server. Well, well yeah, Flip Video are releasing an HD version. I think uh, all, all Channel 9 cameramen are just going to use Flip Video. <laughs> Perfect. That's good. Yeah, yeah, that'll yeah. Be, that'll be a tremendous event. Just for no, product right. placement. It's, it's, it's all who's... digital media now, so that you really, it's just kind of you know firewire cable out of the camera into a Mac, um, and there you go. Yeah. Cut, send, do what you like. It's, it's pretty impressive. It's very cool stuff. Now, James, we're about to lose our satellite feed. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's the other problem with satellites, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. If we were doing this on Skype. We could have all day. All day. That's right. Um, Can can I just say how much we've appreciated all the phone calls from the Europe and and what a big part of the show that has been. Really, really appreciate it. Well, it's been my pleasure. We've always had lively discussions. Cropley's let me off the hook the past couple of times we've spoken, which is a a welcome change. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Channel, Channel 9 haven't been screwing up things too much in the last couple of months. Oh, bonus. That's good. I'm glad we've got the Cropley imprimatur now. That's fantastic. And we'd, um, we'd love to no, have you back it, in when you get back into the country, James. Ah, uh, yeah, we might be able to come to some sort of arrangement. It's going to cost you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've got, you know, I've got five bucks. Yeah, that's what I had in mind. Yeah, cool. All right, done, done. James Talia calling from Switzerland. Thank you so much for joining us on Box Cutters. Pleasure. Thank you, guys. Talk to you soon. Are you one of those that follows the follows, 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 follows the ads? Hello, this is Ricardo Montalban. Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July. Go down on you. Brett Cropley, what don't you buy? Uh, this I believe is the first time that uh, we've focused on the Zoot Review. Uh, theme of ads, which is Georgie funny because I, I, I rely on those quite a lot really? myself. I, I always think, what what does Zoot Review have to say on this? Well, most recently, Kerry Armstrong has been talking about Coca Cola mini cans. Um, but uh, uh, right, 
I, I, I think they've picked up all their, their editors from uh, reality TV because, uh, as we know, they are at times fans of the Frankenbiting. <laughs> I don't know what, what that means. Well, Frankenbiting is, is when they, they record somebody and then they, they edit, they, they like cut words, specific words out and make them say stuff that they never actually said. Right. Um, and, and watching the Zoot Review ad with Kerry Armstrong, I don't know if it's because I work with audio a lot or, or if it's just really badly edited, but I could hear every single edit in there. And I thought I might uh, play for the listeners um, a, each, each of those snippets that they've, they've then put back together. Uh, for this uh, for this unscripted advertisement, which okay. they proudly state at the uh, the end of the ad. Kerry, we got you to try the new Coke mini cans. What do you think? That was the first part. They're fantastic. There's Coke. Fant. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Coke. Fant. Sprite. Lift. Diet Coke and Coke Zero. These are these are all specific little portions that she said that they have cut together to make this ad. All of those. You can enjoy them any time of the day. You know, lunch. You can enjoy them any time oh. of the day. You know, lunch. Sorry. Dinner. <laughs> After school. Yeah, that sort of thing. That wasn't even Kerry Armstrong. That was Georgie Parker. Prompting Barbecues. Kerry Armstrong to say after school. After, after school. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought of after school. But now that you mention it, Georgie. That would also be a suitable time to enjoy Coke minis. It continues. Barbecues. Picnics. <laughs> the size is fantastic. They've got these great little symbols. I know this one's less than 5% of my daily energy intake. Less, so but, it's less than 100 calories. And my boys love them. I love the idea. I found these in multi-packs at Safeway. We're almost there. Mm-hmm. I could give them to the boys and know that they're able to have a bit of fun. But yeah, it's yeah, also yeah. a bit sensible. I love Georgie Parker. They're going to become a family favourite. And that's the end. <laughs> I love Georgie Parker going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she's sick of it. Just shut up, Carrie Armstrong. Shut up. Stop talking about Coke minis. I've been trying to tell you about my personal problems and all you go on about is barbecues with Lyft. I come, I come here to catch up, and, and you just start talking to me about little cans of Coke. These, ca- these cameras here. Now, now that you've heard each of the individual snippets, listen yes. to it in its entirety, and uh, put that put that together. At- Kerry, we got you to try the new Coke mini cans. What do you think? They're fantastic. There's Coke, Fanta, Sprite, Lyft, Diet Coke, and Coke Zero. All of those. You can enjoy them any time of the day. You know, lunch, dinner, after school. Yeah, that sort of thing. Barbecues, picnics. The size is fantastic. They've got these great little symbols. I know this one's less than 5% of my daily energy intake. So it's less than 100 calories, and my boys love them. I found these in multi packs at Safeway. Mm-hmm. I could give them to the boys and know that they're able to have a bit of fun. But yeah, it's yeah, also yeah. a bit sensible. They're going to become a family favourite. Well, that's seamless. <laughs> Did they get like the work experience kid at the Buchanan Group to do that? I don't know. <laughs> it, it feels like you know when people take uh, footage and they deliberately re-edit it to make it say the opposite of what it's intended to say. That's what like that Letterman was like. doing with McCain yeah, coming up to the yeah. election. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it always feels like all those bits should be on a website somewhere, and you should be allowed to just shuffle them. And, like have a soundboard. And yeah, you just and see what you can do. Fun, fun. <laughs> the fun. fun bits, kind of. Yeah, but it's it's with the edits are so obvious. Bad, yes. Oh. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I don't buy that. And also... Hi, this is television no, Scott no, Brennan. Stop. Apparently there's no... <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Uh, so, so these are just the little cans of Coke that you get on the aeroplane. Um, I haven't actually seen them. I, Is it, they don't show them in the ad. <laughs> they do show them in the ad, but they they don't they don't they dwell don't on them. No, no, it's it, they may be that big for the video podcast. There's a, there's no video podcast. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the in, in stereo, the, oh, 3D. <laughs> the uh, because what, what I also don't buy about about this comes you know more along the lines of unnecessary consumerism, but. If you are, say, giving your kids Coke after school, why wouldn't you just pour it out of a bottle into a cup? Well, this is crazy talk. I'm nuts. Why do you get liver rush? <laughs> <laughs> I just don't buy bad editing. Tom Elliott here from a variety of different media organisations, 3RRR, 3AW, Channel 7, Mornings with Kerry ann Inside Business on a Sunday with Alan Kohler. I like to spread myself around and so should you. Listen to the box cutters on the internet or any other media you can find them. I think it's educational. I think it's fascinating. I think you might even learn something you didn't know before. Listen to the box cutters. I always do. Thanks, Tom Elliott. And now it's time for Before and After School, where we talk about children's or young person's television programming from the day... And the day might be yesterday, mm-hmm. and it might be... The day before. <laughs> <laughs> and this is from the day before, isn't it? It, it is. It is. It's, is. it's funny, this is one... Yeah, we were talking about the idea of the kids' show thing, and I went, oh, I really like this show when I was a kid called Fatty and George. And I've never heard of it and before. no one appears to refer, which is weird, because it was on the shows, it was on the ABC, it was repeated a lot. I mean, I remember it being... Sometimes it was on after schools, um, often it was on sort of Saturday mornings, it was on the school holiday ones... Um, uh, I was a bit shocked by Wikipedia to discover it was only 10 episodes. Because in my head, it was, a, it was always a weekly thing. But, um, but yeah, and, and so it's funny. No one remembers the name, but I suspect maybe if I, if I put it in context, do you remember the one about the kids who had the crystal that could stop time and turn it into a black and white photograph? Yes! <laughs> that was Fatty and George. Right! Um, I've also brought in the theme tune. Now, this is really appalling audio. This is the only thing I can find of Fatty and George in existence. This is from YouTube. Um, let's have a listen to this and see if it brings back any memories. I think the synth drum was quite new at the ABC on that Back week. Back in 1981. There are kids running, running through a field somewhere, like running over hills. and oh, It was Tasmania, so probably the whole thing was just hills and right. kids. There were bikes involved. There was a, a, an angry gang. Yes. Um, BMX well, gang? I think there was a BMX gang. I think there was quite a lot of BMX action. Oh, well, there we go. Lovely. Oh. But the other thing I really love about that theme tune is the very final line is, come on, Fatty and George, the three of you can win. Now, the, now, now Fatty the third, and George, you think, would be two. But the third, I think, uh, 
was referencing the crystal. No, no, they actually had a friend. They had an uncredited friend. He, he wasn't. He wasn't considered good enough to get in the title. No, only Fatty and George got the title. Ah. There was a third friend, but he wasn't always left back in the lab while they went out well, on their adventures. Just like, yes, just just like the Tomorrow People. I think Fatty and George were brother and sister. I think is what I recall. The friend was was an additional. But um, the premise was that their dad was a scientist. He invents a time stopping crystal, as you do. Gives it to the kids. Well, no, no, he he gets zapped into some alternate universe. And they can't oh. find him. Like he's in limbo somewhere. So they're trying to trying to refine, you know, bring the dad back. But of course, so they spend the entire two hundred and fifty minutes chasing after their dad. Well, they're somewhere. trying to work out where he's gone. But there is, of course, some evil people after them. And there were these two villains. And as a kid, it was this, this you know, sort of uh, Natasha and, and Boris kind of thing going on. <laughs> there was this man and a woman. And as a kid, I thought the woman was just the most desperately glamorous thing I'd ever seen in my life. She was quite Annie Lennox in the uh, video for Loves and a Stranger, just before she <laughs> takes the wig off. Um, and and I'm, I was so thrilled to discover from Wikipedia the character's name was Nancy. <laughs> Which is great. The idea of anyone having a villain called Nancy is just absolutely superb. Nancy and Izzy would chase after them, trying to get a hold of the crystal, which they, they knew was it. And the other weird thing, now knowing it was only 10 episodes, was as a kid, for some reason, I always missed episode 10. Like, every time it was repeated, I'd go, oh, finally, I'm going to find out what actually happened at the end of Fatty and George. And I never, ever did. Well, and then, maybe it's a bit like with Happy Days and reruns. They never, ever showed the, the very last episode of that, uh, the yeah. Seinfeld uh, Is there a finale. last episode of, of Happy Days? Yeah, yeah, when uh, Joni and Chachi get married, and then Tom Bosley does this big uh, to-camera piece about thanks for being with our family for decades. And, wow. Yeah. That's cool. That was well after they jumped the shark. I oh. did see the final episode eventually, and they, they just find their dad. That was a little bit disappointing. Oh. You know, oh. it was just, yeah, they, they get him back and everything. So, oh, he's, you know. he was in his bedroom all along. He was there all the time. The other thing... Was he? Looking through... <laughs> no, no, he wasn't really. <laughs> he was stuck in another dimension. We knew that. Um, looking through these credits, I was surprised that uh, this show seemed to be cursed. No one went on to do anything ever again. Yeah. The, the only person... Uh, John Honey, who's down as being a director, writer, and, and producer, um, did write two episodes of McLeod's Daughters and directed one episode of Always Greener. And that's sort of virtually the only thing anyone from it ever did. It was made mm. by the Tasmanian Film Corporation for the ABC. Uh, and it mentions here that uh, their rights, the ABC's rights, to it have long since expired. It's unlikely you'll ever see the show again. But in 2004, Screen Tasmania presented the first three episodes in their Tasmanian Travelling Picture Show. Right. So, because I remember the themes, like having heard the theme song, I remember it so well. And having you explain the, the, the premise, I remember that so well. I remember loving this show. And uh, I remember it kind of being on at around the same time that uh, the ABC used to show like Tom's Midnight Garden mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and shows like that. And these shows that would just be about kids living out these uh, amazing fantasies. Also, it, it again, was... It, was, it was much like The Tomorrow People in, in that uh, it, it had some kind of uh, supernatural thing that I wanted to be a part of. It's also intriguingly, it's actually surprisingly urban, um, or probably suburban, Compared to, you know, because we, we have a strong, a long, very good tradition of, of kids' science fiction in Australia. We make really good children's science yes. fiction, which we sell around the world. But most of it's either futuristic um, or it tends to be sort of based in the country. There's lots of sort of country-based type ones, time travel one, the one where the, the kids go back to... Uh, and there, there are only really a, a couple of exceptions there. Yeah, and this and one was... And they've, you know, uh, the Henderson Kids 2, mm-hmm. which was uh, set in the city, and... Uh, and also uh, Eugenie Sandler, P.I., 
But other than that, so I was just saying with this one too, it was it was it was all stuff you would recognise. Like you know, they 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 obviously lived you know in a in a city as far as Tasmania has them. Um, but you know, and, and they were in a suburban house. They had bikes. It was all sort of real stuff. To which the the science fiction element, I think, made it you know made it so much more uh, involving as a kid because you you recognised so much of it as just being your everyday around the house type stuff mm. except with the time stopping crystal and I do remember just the, the special effects being so low tech yet kind of impressive like you know why not just have a black and white still well you know what because it, it doesn't it doesn't matter when you're aiming at at kids who haven't really experienced uh, special effects that that much it didn't matter that uh, that they weren't great because you let your imagination do do the rest of it. It's funny because if you wanted to make it now, you'd have to have a scene where like you know, time stops and the camera can can zoom around. Yeah, you'd have to have like a bullet and, time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you need to do all that stuff. Whereas you know, for the plot, you actually didn't need to do it. You just needed an Annie Lennox type villain, which I think all shows could benefit from. Myself. Thank you for reminding us of, of Fatty and George. That's uh, extraordinary. Yes, yeah, so uh, and if you want to see it, you can't. So there you go. Oh, it's not nice to call people that. <laughs> Just a few quick letters to box cutters this week. We got one from Pete Smith, not our friend Pete Smith. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, clearly our friend, because he sent us an email, but uh, not Pete Smith, who we've had on the show. This is uh, some Pete Smith in, in the UK. He writes, hi, Josh. It was sent to all yeah, of us. just Josh. Mm, but just, just addressed mm, to me. Josh. Mm. Which, you know, I take offence on your behalf mm. for that, guys. Me and Josh. I <laughs> to me. No, sorry, go on. Hi, Josh. <laughs> I found your site very interesting. I will download and listen when I find some time. I'm not sure if you ever play Podsafe music, but if you do, I represent... Why are you reading out spam? No, it's not spam. (laughs) This is just spam. It's not spam. Just let me get through it. it. I'm not sure if you ever play Podsafe music, but if you do, I represent UK independent artist Anticool and wondered if you would consider playing one of their tracks on the Box Cutters podcast. It's Podsafe. You can listen and download it for free here. And then he gives us the link. And uh, I just, I'd like to reply. Dear Pete, I found your email very interesting. I will download and listen to Anticool when I find some time. Oh, now let's talk about online gambling <laughs> and penis enlargements. When I find some time. What is that? There's always time to listen to box cutters. That's my theory. Mm. Repeatedly. Yeah, constantly. On a loop. You know, you know what I, I suspected may have happened there? I, I suspect Pete Smith from the UK may have been vanity searching and found his name in our blog. <gasps> because we'd had the legendary Australian Legendary Pete Smith. Pete Smith. Yeah. 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 Mm. Very, very interesting. So, so not only are you a narcissist, Pete Smith... <laughs> But you have also managed to offend every single one of us. With I, your I, was, I was disappointed because I saw Pete Smith and I thought it was the Pete Smith, and I started reading it in Pete Smith's voice. <laughs> Hi, Josh. You know, and I got all excited, and then it was and no. Should I? Should I do and this? Signed uh, off at the end. Pete Smith speaking. <laughs> should I do this? Uh, this this text that we got? Yeah, do it because I, I couldn't actually make it out. So. Okay, this was this was. <laughs> so it's like hearing it for the first time. This was a text we got from Anon in response to a text that he sent last. I'm assuming it's a he. Sorry. 
if if you're not a he or non, I'm just assuming so. That's uh, dear box cutters. That includes all of us. See what he did there, Pete Smith. <laughs> all of us, dear box cutters. And mind you, this is one text message again. Dear box cutters, I am finally up to date with the podcast, and I'm extremely disappointed that I hadn't won the crumpler bag competition with my rather intelligently thought out answer. You also mentioned that my messages were coming in backwards. I find this peculiar fact rather concerning. I had said in a text in a I had said I had said text in a forwards fashion, and not in the backwards method as suggested in the show. To think that I have the time or patience to type up such a message in a non-linear fashion, and this is where the email started going a little the, bit crazy. The SMS. Sorry, the, the yeah. SMS started going a little bit crazy because there were now uh, at symbols between every Other two character. characters, right? Yeah. So, so every second character was an at symbol, and a lot of these, a lot of the messages were repeated. There were twenty-six <laughs> individual messages that made up this one email. Uh, SMS, whatever, the thing. Message. Uh, message. So, and that's exactly the point where it happens. I don't know if it was in- intentional or non, but it says it seems utterly ludic- ludicrous to me. This tells me that you might be using a phone that doesn't recognise the internationally recognised multi-message format, or you obtain these messages from a phone manufactured in the last decade. Given that the podcast runs on a non-existent budget, it would be foolish of me to think you'd change your software slash hardware solutions to accommodate text messages like mine. So knowing this fact, I'll endeavour to send all future... Me- this is one message. <laughs> See, around about this point, I was having a whole single white female thing and was backing away from my computer. And I wasn't even <laughs> sure we should mention this on the program in case it escalates. But uh- I was appreciating the joke. See, <laughs> yeah, this is in, in a brief and pleasant format that not only satisfies the limitations of your software or hardware device, but also allows you to read the content on the show without wasting those precious seconds that otherwise could be allocated to witty taglines, bumpers, or Josh ranting in an excited, high-pitched, and high-paced tone. <laughs> and that's where that's where that message ends. And then he sent another text, which uh, just to prove his point. Dear box cutters, I love cake. <laughs> love a non. So that one I liked. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. You know why? We could read it all in one shot, Anon. Mm. I think uh, I think you've proven your own point very nicely there. Okay, question three. Which yeah, canal? All these going to be about war? No, I got loads of. I got one on tennis. One on the Suez Canal. Loads. Okay, question three. Which canal links the Mediterranean with the Red Sea? Now, the uh, quiz from last week and the week before was, can you tell us the name of the theme tune for the, and who is performing that theme tune? And Brett? So this was... This was the theme tune uh, that we really spoke all over last yeah. time, and, uh, Ooh, and yeah. you know people people had a go. Smooth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Pe- people had a go, and good on them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't uh, by the original composer. It was not by Mike Post, uh, John John Richard's favourite ever composer. Uh, Mike obsessed, Post. obsessed with Mike Post. Famous uh, work. It is the Hill Street Blues theme. And it is performed by the Jeff Harvey Band. Although we... we, well, we oh, sorry. Jeff, Jeff Harvey, Harvey and, and the, the Midday, Midday Show, Show Band. Band. Mm. 
Well, we did get a bit suspicious listening again to it last week that it may just be Jeff Harvey and a bunch of keyboards at one point, that he's just doing all the parts. Yeah, I think... Howard I th- Jones styling. Oh, nice. 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 Yeah. Congratulations to uh, Jen. It's that awesome synthesizer horn effect. Smooth jazz. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Jen wrote in with oh, <laughs> playing air guitar, guitar here, solo. as you'll see in the video podcast. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've just told you guys. There's no video podcast. It's weird because we all oh. get the video podcast. I don't know how it is that Josh doesn't get it every week. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's quite Miami Vice, isn't it? Anyway, congratulations, with- Jen. You win yourself a crumpler bag. It's a camouflage bag. It is. It you is won't see it so on the video cool. podcast because it's so Because there is no video podcast, for heaven's sake. Can we get past that? I'm not picking it up this way. Jen, you can now go to war with your crumbler bag. You can. Uh, just not in, uh, not in the in desert and not in the snow. <laughs> not in the snow. You need a different crumbler bag to go to war different in those kind of areas. Yes. Yeah, d- different crumpler. You need your snow leopard crumpler. Mm. But you can fit so many roast chickens in this. You can. It's we were doing it before. So apologies, Jed, when you do get it. But yeah, we, we got... I Was it 23? I mean, we got quite like, a lot. Yeah, like 23 roast chickens. They were small. They were not the, the yeah. family-sized yeah, yeah, yeah. chicken. They were the... the Steggles number 12. Yeah. <laughs> they they yeah. weren't organic. No. Uh, no. Apologies, Jen. So sorry. 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 Uh, and uh, there might still be some... Uh, Grease. Some, yeah. Well, let's just call it chicken juice. <laughs> There might be some chicken juice in it. But congratulations. I will send you an email during the week and uh, and tell you how you can get your prize. And thanks, Jeff Harvey and the Midday Show Band. You're great. Have we got another question for this week's quiz? No. We've got a prize. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hold it off. Let's hold it off until next week. Next okay. week we'll... Uh, you know what? If all things go as planned, I reckon next week we could have a special question. Ooh. Hey, um... When I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters. Pod. Cast. Done. Pork is on the table. In tragic news, uh, and he's not very TV, uh, Patrick Swayze saying goodbye. He uh, had uh, pancreatic cancer that he's been battling with for uh, some time now, uh, which has spread to his liver. That is, that is tragic and, um, news. Also, hmm. uh, here's to absent friends, Eartha Kitt. Oh, really? Oh, Catwoman. I, I'm assuming... Hang on. Let me, let me check <laughs> this that. This could be embarrassing. Because I heard it. <laughs> oh, I'd I, also just like to point out, um, before when I said that in, in Fanny and George that Izzy was the other henchman with Nancy, obviously I was talking nonsense. Izzy was the other... Was the third. Oh, I was he, wondering about that. He was the three of you that can win. Yeah, um, Nancy's henchman was obviously Phil. Phil. It was Nancy and Phil were the villains. wasn't Barry. No, no, it was Phil and Nancy. Was, was Phil played by Barry? Uh, Phil was played by Barry Pierce. There well, you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. I, th- I think I, I must have must have misheard something on this morning's radio. Oh no! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh so, no! But well, now that you've said it, she's well going to die. Oh no! That's oh, awful. Because I've said it on the show. Josh, you've just killed her for kit. I'm sorry. She was Catwoman. How I did know. you do that? I know. Who 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 was it instead? I you... don't I don't know. I, but I've just done a Google news search on Eartha Kitt. Was and, it y- uh, Jörn Ortson? The, 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 the man who designed the, the Sydney, Opera, Sydney House. Opera House. Yeah, he that's, died. Yeah, that's not who Did you I get am. him mixed up? Because he also played Catwoman. Did, did he? <laughs> <laughs> no one ever remembers him. He was always that forgotten Catwoman, but you know. 
He was good. Oh, absent France. Um, Ed Phillips. Sorry, a different kind of absent France. Ed Phillips uh, isn't having his contract renewed at Channel Nine. <gasps> no, no. Maybe we can have him in. And in, in, and in fact, sources at Channel Nine say that uh, Nine has had enough of the twenty-eight-year-old quiz show, and has decided it's time to bury it in uh, relation to Temptation. The show. That's such a that's do. such a shame because Temptation was uh, was a great reimagining of uh, of Salad Century. And, and, and Ed Phillips was my favourite Catwoman of them all. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, John Richards, you had some pork. No, that was that was. Oh, uh, that was it. I have one more, but if I if I keep it for next week's news, then I can do less research. So that's that's fine. <laughs> but it won't be news by then. Well, it'll be news because no one cares. No, there was a response that. Uh, <laughs> it's not news if no one cares. There was a response talking to uh, the legal action against IINet that uh, I might put up a link to on the blog. Um, I didn't get to read it before we went to the news press. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway. That's uh, the end of no, Boxcutters well, episode 159. How come you're doing that? <laughs> because you didn't do it. I'm used That's, to you cutting me off. So, is that and all I you was had? sitting there I'm, see, I'm facing waiting. you. I'm, I, all I was doing was giving you, uh, <laughs> giving you more room. More room to spread your uh, special moment. Uh, Bold and the Beautiful is going to 6 p.m. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> if you yeah. really want stuff, Bold and the Beautiful is going to 6 p.m. Uh, did we mention that last week? I knew about it last I, I week, but we, there's, we been, there's been viewer outrage from Simpsons fans and from the uh, stay-at-home mothers who much preferred it at 4.30 when uh, the kids were having a bit of a lie down rather than at 6 o'clock, which is news time. Dinner time, getting the kids in the bath, and I've uh, seen ads for that now. It's like Channel 10's new failed idea, bold and beautiful, <laughs> 6 p.m. for a week and a half, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also 90210 apparently got dumped again. Uh, oh, I, I, I read by, by Channel 10, yeah, even though it was coming back for summer. Mm. So next week, I'm going to also, I, I think it was supposed to be on Sunday night. Next week, I'm, I'm going to do a, a little thing about uh, summer viewing because uh, uh, it's, it's bizarre. Bizarre what's happening with summer viewing at the moment. It's uh, and some of you view in a whole different way, don't you? Yeah, you whole really do. Way. Whole different way. Yeah. With crickets in the background. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode one hundred and fifty nine. I want to say thanks so much to James Talia for calling through from Europe for the last couple of years. And uh, thanks to Chris. It's only been two years. It's been at least two years. Yeah, I would have put it more almost three. It's oh, almost it's about two and a half. About two and a half years it's been in, uh, in the Europe. What was the first time you came in? We were over in that little closet there. It was a tiny, tiny studio. It was. It's it was an amazing never speak show. Of that, never speak <laughs> of that show again. But like that that was at the end of the first year see, that we started, wasn't see, it? It doesn't matter. He's, he, he pretends like, he pretends like, oh, Josh, you're not doing your job by saying it's the end of the show. And then he'll just go on and on and on. Special thanks to Triple R, whose studios we use each and see, every week. See, doing it again. <laughs> doing it again. This podcast, you can check them out online uh, at rrr.org.au. They've got a brand new website. The um, one week, John, the one week <laughs> that I came in, I started doing, I started doing Brett's job. Brett was just Brett was just ropeable. I also want to say thanks to Crumpler, whose <laughs> whose bags we fill, we chicken, <laughs> and then give them to you, the listener. Uh, you can find them yeah. at uh, at crumpler.com.au. Chickens and not tea bags. This is the messiest end in the world. <laughs> you can email us hooray at boxcutters.net. You can SMS us at zero four five eight cutter. What is it? Is this? Am I sacked? Is this what he's doing? Get out. 
Is he just going, Josh, we don't need you anymore? If you're I, a TV show, you can send us a postcard at PO Box 2145 Brunswick, East Victoria, it's 3057. It's because Pete Smith loves you. It's because of Pete Smith. It is. That UK Pete Smith imposter. Damn UK Pete Smith. <laughs> Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm John Richards. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same bat time. Same bat channel. And hey... Let's be careful out there. You know, John, it's not the first time he's done this either. He gets to-